Good morning. I just want to take a quick moment to uh, invite anyone who may be of the young adult age uh, to come out on Thursday night to challenge me to some board games. I'm, I'm looking forward to defeating and being defeated. Um, we're going to be doing this at Mancala Monk in Hamilton at 7 p.m. Just a chance to get to sit down with you guys and kind of talk about what we're thinking about for young adults here at Forestview and just get some time to know everyone. So that's going to be on Thursday. We are entering a new series. We are going to be on the way together. We're going to follow Jesus through the gospel of Matthew together. The life of Jesus, as you watch and and read, you you realize that it is a journey on the way to the cross. And we're going to walk with him during Lent. What's interesting about the book of Matthew is it is a book that is written to a Jewish people. So it's very particularly styled compared to some of the other gospels because it is ripe in the scriptures. It's soaked in the scriptures. It's also comparing the journey of Jesus with the journey of the people of Israel. So as we walk with Jesus, we'll also walk with the people of Israel. We'll see them moving from Egypt. We'll see them crossing the Jordan. We'll see them in the desert. We will see the Mount uh, the law being given, like the Mount, the Sermon on the Mount. We'll, we'll, we'll see Jesus' life paralleled in the life of King David. He is the new Moses. He is the new King David. And so as we, watch, we walk with Jesus, we'll also walk with the people of Israel. And as we walk with Jesus, we'll be looking at our own stories and our own lives and our own journeys and the signposts along the way. How many people here like road trips? They're fun, aren't they? I know some of you guys went down to California. I'm sure you have some stories. When you go on a, on a road trip, there's something really interesting about the journey because you, not only do you discover like interesting places and new locales, you also go on a bit of a journey of self-discovery. You learn a little bit about yourself, your friends, or you definitely learn a lot about your spouse on a road trip. I was thinking back to some of the, one of the most important road trips probably in my life. Is I, was at, uh, I was in England studying, and some friends of mine from Canada flew over. And we decided to take a road trip to Scotland, which kind of blew people's mind. I didn't realize in England, they thought a six-hour journey, like, how many days is it going to take you? I was like, we're just going to do it today. We'll be in Scotland in six hours. Like, what? So far. No, it's not. We're Canadian. We understand. So, so anyways, we, we journeyed up through Scotland. And Scott, in Scotland, I learned a lot about myself. And my friend also learned something about him, himself and kind of our, our history, so we drove into the Highlands in a place called Glencoe, and we went to go into a pub. And on the way into the pub, we were stopped by a sign, and we had a decision to make. This is what the sign said. No hawkers or Campbells. <laughs> sorry, Brendan. Sorry, Jordan. Sorry, my friend. He was a Campbell. And we're like, what? Is this, is this real? And so we kind of asked, like, what? What's this? And they're like, Oh, we're just joking. It's, you know, the, the Campbell clan had uh, some sketchiness that happened in the past, but we're, we're kind of over it now. However, they always had an eye on him, and we were kind of freaked out. <laughs> so we did get out of there quicker than we might have otherwise. And we continued on our journey, and we ended up going to Loch Ness. And when we got to Loch Ness, there's this beautiful castle that was blown up by the British after, because uh, they wanted to, to make sure it never got occupied again by the Scottish in, the, in their war. And at Loch Ness, I came, uh, came to the gate where we paid to get in, and I said, do you happen to know whose clan this castle is? And he said to me, this is the Grant Castle. And it hit me. 
like a dagger, because I am a Grant on my mom's side. But I never knew my grandfather. I never met my grandfather. My grandfather had lived out west. He died. My earliest memory as a child, my, my mom didn't believe me when I told her about it, I'm remembering this, because I guess I was three years old, was my mom crying beside a fireplace and telling me that her daddy died. And I never got to know anything about the Grant side of things. My grandma and my grandfather had divorced. And so I didn't know the Grants. And so I sat there at the, the, the shore of Loch Ness, and I just kind of discovered something about myself, a part of myself, just soaked in that. I sat there and I thought, like, I would never have existed if it wasn't for the people who lived here. A journey of self-discovery. I also realized that there's probably a reason why they thought that there was a monster in those waters, a little bit of a crazy imagination going on in my family, so. There's something about the journey where you discover yourself, you start to know a little bit about who you are and you identify yourself, that 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 journey will never be forgotten by me. I discovered who I was in a certain sense, in a minor degree, compared to what happens to Jesus as we begin the first walk, as he discovers his identity and who he is. But we begin not with Jesus, but with his cousin. Matthew 3.1, in those days... John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made out of camel's hair. He had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all of Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John the Baptist was a big deal. Now, I started thinking about Jesus and who he was as he was growing up. And I just, it dawned on me, no one knew really who he was very much. I wonder what it would have been like for Jesus, who is the Son of God, the future Messiah, growing up and having people constantly pester him about his cousin. Hey, man, do you think you could get me and John to go grab some lunch sometimes? I'll, I'll try the locust, whatever. I just want to talk with John, man. Give me some time, one-on-one with John. Mano, mano? Hey, Jesus, I was out to the, the Jordan, man. Your cousin is a rock star. Like thousands of people, and they're gathered around to, to listen to him speak. Now, as a pastor, it's definitely one of the things that you've got to be very careful of is not to compare yourselves to other pastors, right? You don't want to like, oh, how big's your church? But what's interesting is that's always the first question you get. So when I'm thinking about Jesus, I just imagine, I know he's sinless, but I can just imagine myself in a spot being like, man, why's John? John's getting all this attention. Don't they know who I am? So I don't know about you, but do you ever kind of wrestle with some of that? John the Baptist is a big deal. In fact, John the Baptist gets more mentioned in Josephus' histories than Jesus does. Jesus kind of, we think he, his name is Crestus, but people argue and debate about this. John the Baptist gets a whole little chunk, a paragraph from Josephus, an ancient historian. 
Now, some of the Jews thought that the destruction of Herod's army came from God, and that very justly as a punishment for what he did against John. The people of Israel thought that they lost a giant battle because of what Herod did to John the Baptist. John the Baptist was that important. He was called the Baptist, for Herod had slew him, who was a good man, who had commanded the Jews, irate, both as to righteousness towards one another and piety towards God. And so to come to baptism, for that the washing with water would be acceptable to him, if they made use of it, not in order to the putting away or the remission of some sins only, but for the purification of the body, supposing still that the soul was thoroughly purified beforehand by righteousness. Now when many others came in crowds about him, for they were very greatly moved or pleased by hearing his words, Herod, who feared lest the great influence that John had over the people might put it into his power and inclination to rise up a rebellion, for they seemed ready to do anything he would advise. They thought it best by putting him to death to prevent any mischief he might cause and not bring himself into difficulties by sparing a man who might make him repent of it when it would be too late. So the ancient histories record John the Baptist as a great and popular man to the point where they thought that if he said something, Israel would do it. This is the influence that John the Baptist has. Again, you wonder like, what does that feel like? I imagine Jesus was strong in his own identity, but would you be able to withstand comparing yourself to your cousin? Where's your identity come from? Do you ever like compare yourself to the people at work? Like, why is that guy get the promotion? I'm always working here. He's always playing on Facebook. You ever compare yourself to other people and kind of get your identity from there? Like, okay, I'm better than them, but I'm a little less than them. And kind of putting yourself, you're getting your identity from those who are around you. It's not about how popular you are, but sometimes you just kind of wish that people would notice you. If I was Jesus, I just got to admit, I don't know if it would be easy for me to have a cousin like John at that time. But John is very fascinating. When you start to study John and what he's doing, he doesn't fall into the trap of finding his identity and his popularity. In fact, John is very purposely doing things to identify himself with Jesus. More properly, he, he's identifying himself in relation to his job for Jesus. Very purposely, there's little comments that you read in the scriptures, you start to realize, I believe John purposely was setting himself up in the pattern of Elijah. Now he denies that he's Elijah, because he's not physically Elijah, but he is playing the role of the Elijah who was to come. For example, he wears a garment of hair, and he has a leather belt. Well, guess who wore a leather belt and a garment of camel hair? We read in 2 Kings 1, 18.8. They replied, he has a garment of hair and a leather belt around his waist. The king said, ah, that's Elijah the Tishbite. So notice what he's wearing. He is identifying himself as Elijah. Also, 
where he performs the, the baptisms, it's at the Jordan River, a very important place. First of all, it's important because, as we were talking about earlier, the people of Israel crossed the Jordan River into the promised land. And as they went through it, it said, to, in the book of Joshua, it says, sanctify yourselves as they go through the river. This is a sanctification that's happening through the, the Jordan River. But the Jordan River is also a very important place because the Jordan River is the exact place where Elijah went up into heaven. Isn't that interesting? He's doing the baptism where Elijah disappeared. The new Elijah appears where the old Elijah disappeared. He's doing this on purpose. He's wanting the people to recognize that the words of Malachi are coming true. In Malachi it says, Lo, I will send you the prophet Elijah before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of parents to their children, the hearts of children to their parents, so that I will not come and strike the land with a curse. It was well known that before the Messiah came, Elijah had to come first. And John is making sure to identify himself with Elijah and not the Messiah. He found his identity in his relationship with Jesus, not with the crowds, not with his power to be able to move the nation to do what he wants, as Josephus said. He recognized that his main identity came from the fact that he was the precursor. He had a relationship with Jesus. He was supposed to set the table so Jesus could give us our supper. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand. He will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. John the Baptist wasn't actually interested in the fame. He knew the crowds were fickle. For, for John, it wasn't about him. It was about Jesus. It was about the Messiah. He was the one who would be in the wilderness saying, the Messiah is coming. The Messiah is coming. And we know from other Gospels that he actually declares Jesus to be that person. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. There's someone who's coming whose dirty shoes I can't even touch because I'll defile them. The important thing for John wasn't just finding his identity and those around him and how people reacted to him. It was how he related to Jesus. And that's why it's very interesting when Jesus makes a very specific request of him, he kind of finds a tension that comes into his heart with this. And then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And you come to me? And Jesus said, let it be now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. And then John relented. Hey, cuz, can you dunk me? What? No. Can you imagine the tension that John is feeling in that moment. 
He's, he's running through everything in his head. He, he's made his whole life about preparing the way for the Messiah, and now the Messiah stands in front of him and asks him a request that he feels is like too demeaning. He's like, ah. He's in, a, he's in a spot where he, is he actually going to follow the Messiah? Is he going to listen to him and do what he's told to do? Or is he going to say, no, no, I can't. Like the, what's interesting is, his, the question is probably going through John's mind. The question is probably going through a lot of our minds when we read this passage. Why would Jesus get baptized? The whole point of John's baptism was repentance for the forgiveness of sins, for the cleansing of sins. So here comes the Messiah, the sinless lamb, Jesus, and says, wash me. And they're like, wait, no, you're, you're the pure sacrifice. So what's going through his mind is, I can't, I, I, don't, I don't know how to reconcile this. Jesus says, it's required for all righteousness. So why is that? Why would Jesus need to get baptized? I, I want to suggest two things. The first one I believe is that Jesus was baptized for the washing of sin. It wasn't for his own sin. It was for my sin and your sin. His baptism was on behalf of our sin. The other thing I want to suggest is that baptism isn't only a sign of purification of sin. It's also a sign of death and resurrection. And so Jesus is baptized as prophetic of what's about to happen to him. That because the, the sin of the world is laid upon him, and as he goes under into the earth, into the water, so go our sins. But as he rises out of the water, so we rise with him out of the grave. And it's this beautiful picture. And so Jesus is asking of John, do you trust me, cuz? I know you're the big name around town right now, but I'm asking you to do this. And he realizes his identity is in following Jesus. And so he does it. I want to suggest to anyone here who, if you haven't been baptized, I even go a little further. If you, if you haven't consciously yourself said, I want to be baptized and walked into the waters as an adult, we would love to be able to do that with you this Easter. To follow in the footsteps of Jesus. The, the proper response to Jesus, to being a follower of Jesus, is to walk into baptism. And so I just want to encourage you. It's Easter, April 16th, and we love to have our Easter baptisms here at Forest View, and the church in general. And it's a beautiful moment. So if you're interested in baptism, come talk to me, and we can kind of talk it through, and, and we can uh, make sure that that happens for you. The opportunity that we are noticing here with baptism is to, to the, the beginning of a journey. It's like a road marker. Here is a place where I am now making a signpost like Jesus. Jesus has to be baptized to initiate his ministry. This is the beginning of his ministry. I'm sure he did lots of cool things beforehand. We don't know much about it. This is the moment where he begins the journey. And as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love with him I am well pleased. As he comes up out of the water, Jesus' identity is confirmed to him. You are the son of God. 
You are the most unique human being to ever walk the earth. You are God made flesh. And that is why it is so important that you and I get to know Jesus, that we connect to Jesus for who he is. He is the son of God, the only hope for redeeming humankind. That's why we sing his songs. That's why we tell the world about him. And once you start to look at who Jesus is, as he's revealed, we recognize he is a very special, unique person as the Son of God. But at the same time, as we connect to him, we, I believe, come in under the same declaration. When God says to him, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. I love this Jesus. As he says, as he declares that, I believe in a certain way, we should receive the same voice speaking to us. You are my daughter whom I love and whom I am well pleased. How? Isn't Jesus special? Yes, he's very special. But because he's so special, it says in the scriptures that when we come to follow him, we are in him. We are in Christ. Not only that, Christ is in us. And so when Christ looks upon us, he sees Jesus and he says, son, I love you. Daughter, I love you. You are my child. You are beloved by God. That's who you are. It's who I am. Do you hear God's voice speaking over you, declaring, I love you? That's your bedrock identity. Oh, does this person love me or who am I? Or, I mean, what are all the voices that try to tell us who we are? Oh, I'm, a, I'm a this and I'm a that. We did our disc personality profiles at the leadership incubator. I'm a I, I'm a D. Yeah, first you're loved by God. The bedrock of everything. Whatever your personality, whatever your proclivities, whatever, whatever things are, are good about you, whatever things are wrong with you, the thing that underlines it all is you are loved by God. That's your identity. How has your life changed since you discovered your love by God? The one issue that we face as Christians is we receive this. Or you probably, at some point, if you are a Christian, you at some point heard the voice and you knew you were loved by God. And then what happens is it's hard to remember that, isn't it? The journey with God, to actually take that and to actually make that real, it's not an easy thing. That's why we're called disciples. The word in, uh, in the Greek could actually mean apprentices. We're all apprentices of Jesus. If you know anything about apprenticeship, you know that apprenticeship isn't something where you're like, you get to become exactly the, the, a carpenter immediately, right? You can't, you can't just like, oh, I, I'm apprenticing as a carpenter, now I'm a carpenter. No, no. It's going to take you four years before you can even be called a, a carpenter. And then you know what you are? You are a journeyman. You're on the journey. Four years, you're not the best carpenter. You're not even like a, a good, you're not as good a carpenter as Jesus. As a Christian, as we start to develop, it's a long journey of actually truly taking in the truth that you are loved by God. That thing that we hear at the baptism, it is not something you can just go, oh, I believe that. 
Do you? Do you believe that you are truly identified first and foremost as loved by God? Search into your heart and see the, the lies that you tell yourself, the quiet, oh, the fears that you have. Are those coming from your identity as loved by God? It takes time. And there's a lot of promises. Um, and, and Neil T. Anderson's The Bondage Breaker. I won't go through them all today, but I'm going to read through, through some of them. I, I love that book. There's some stuff I, you know, I, I'm not going to endorse the whole thing. But there's this part where it talks about my identity in Christ, and I always return to it. I am the salt of the earth. Can you say that with, with your, like, say it in your, in your heart. I am the salt of the earth. Do you believe that? That somehow God is using you both to give flavor to the world and preserve the world. I am the light of the world. Do you recognize that you are actually the light of the world? I am a child of God. And we say that, right? And we sung it at Fluid yesterday. We sung it today. No longer a slave to fear, I am a child of God. And yesterday there was like 1,400 young adults singing the song with Bethel who wrote that song. And I, I just looked around and I heard them singing that. And I, was th I thought to myself, like, what would happen if everyone really truly believed that? Like if it was in their heart to the point where the, everything they operated out of was out of that truth would change the world. It would change Toronto. What happens if we all began to live out of this rather than I am this and this is my habits and this is, I am a child of God. What does it mean to be a child of God? I, when I think about this, I didn't quite understand it until I, I had kids. There's times I'm just sitting and, and the other day I remember the bus kind of pulled up and as they jumped out of the bus and they came to the woods the door and I was just looking at them and I just kind of, it just hit me like, I can't even describe my heart towards these three little bears walking towards me. And it's just like, that's how God looks at you. Like, he, he's just like, love you. That's how he feels about you. And yeah, I might be like, oh, I wish they got a little bit better mark on their math test or something, but that's, <laughs> honestly... <laughs> and I don't think about that, right? When I'm looking at my kids, I don't think about any of that. And I think sometimes we think too much about trying to prove to God and that we love them, and you don't need to. My kids don't need to do anything for me to love them. That's what God thinks about you. And you're chosen and appointed by Christ. The barriers, you are the means by which he wants to reach the world. You're a joint heir with Christ. You're united with Christ. It says in the scripture, you are a saint. Do you ever think of yourself as a saint? That's what you're called in the scripture. You're addressed in the scripture, hello, saints. How many times do we call or just call ourselves sinners all the time? It's not that we're not, we don't sin, but that's not your identity. Your identity is not sinner. Your identity is saint who sins. This is how God looks at us. You're chosen by God. You're holy. You're dearly loved. You're a child of light, a stranger in the world. And it says that you, you are one who is born of God. The evil one cannot crush you. 
Now, you are not. When I keep saying the I am, I am, I am. You are, you are not. We are not. I am not the great I am. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. That is who you are. Believe it. Journey with Jesus. Walk with him. Allow that to become your truth, your operating principle. And as I said, it takes time. It's not something we can just kind of magically go, okay, I believe it, and it's good. It's a journey. We walk with Jesus. This is who I am. And so one of the ways we want to help you journey along and, and get to know who you are in Christ is uh, we have a little booklet on the way. We have some in the back, but also we have PDFs for those who don't really need paper anymore. And each week we have a journey where we're going to spend some time. There's some, some practices, some of the spiritual disciplines. I remember Cole last week talked about, hey, maybe you just want to pick one discipline and work through this Lent with it. Maybe you want to try a different one each week and just see how that works with, with you. But we also have some scripture readings each day. And as we take in the scriptures, let's read some scripture together as a church and allow that to slowly help us know who we are because who we are is followers of Jesus. Children of God who follow Jesus. And as we do this, uh, we, we set it up so it starts off pretty easy. So you got a couple like paragraphs to read in the first week. By the end, you'll be reading entire chapter chunks. So we kind of do that on purpose to help ease you in because it's going to take some time. We understand being an apprentice takes time to journey upwards. But I hope that you can join us with this and make this part of our, our Lenten journey. As we get to know Jesus, we get to know ourselves. We get to know who we're supposed to be and what we look like his eyes. Today, what I'd also like to do is take a moment, because it's a lot to take in. Who, are I, who am I? My identity? How do I know I'm loved in Christ? Do I really know I'm loved in Christ? All these things. I'm sure there's a lot of questions going on in your, in your head. We have some postcards beside you. We're going to take a few minutes, and we're going to write a postcard. We're on a journey, right? Each, each time, each week, we're going to have a little postcard. We're going to write a postcard. Now, you can write the postcard to God. You can write a postcard as if you're writing to a friend, to yourself as a journal entry. We're not going to kind of dictate how you write the journal or, or how you write the, the postcard. But what we're going to ask you to do is take some time and answer these questions today. Where did your journey begin? Just kind of take it back and, and maybe write about how your journey began. Or, or when did you first hear that you were loved by God? When did it become true, that first moment where, where you were able to say, I am beloved by God? And we're going to ask you to take these postcards home with you and, and keep them as reminders. We'll have probably some extras if you ever want to actually send a postcard with some of these things. We, you can use those as well to help share. But we want to take some time to sit with God, listen to his voice, hear him tell us how he loves us, and remember and reflect upon when we first discovered that truth. Take a few minutes.